We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core, this Friday edition of AFA at the Core. Glad to have you with us on the American Family Radio Network. Visit our website, AFR.net, or download the American Family Radio app on your smartphone, on your tablet device. We even have the AFR app available on your Roku as well and your Apple TV. So we have the app available on multiple platforms, multiple devices. You can always subscribe to the AFA at the Core podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can subscribe to the AFA at the Core podcast. And then lastly, we are live streaming the video on YouTube and Facebook. Go to the American Family Radio Facebook page. Watch the show there. You can also go to my AFA at the Core YouTube channel and watch the show there as well. And if you go and watch, if you want to watch the show, the radio show, you can uh, see my AFA hat that I'm donning, my American Family Association ball cap. And you wonder, Walker, where can I get a, a hat like that? Because I like it so much. You can go to our resource center, resources.afa.net, and order your AFA apparel, more specifically, order your ball cap, uh, Bobby, you've been wearing the AFA ball cap around the office. How do the, you like it? The exact one that you of which you wear right now. I actually own the red and the silver, blue, gray one as well. Very comfortable, but the uh, the tan with the blue with embroidery is my favorite. I just like that material. Let's uh, let's put Marty on the spot over here. Marty, have you uh, you been wearing any AFA ball caps? I don't have one yet. I might have to go to the we resource can, we center. We can donate one to you. Donate. <laughs> yes, I think I I'll think be. I think we could donate one to I our believe, team member here. I believe I would be glad to wear that. <laughs> He's Very building proud. a house. Are you a bald cap guy? Do you wear oh, I, oh, yes. With this bald head, you got to have a bald cap. <laughs> so when you're, when you're in yes. the wood shop, you have a hat on most of the time? Yes, I have a hat on every time I'm outside the house. <laughs> nice. Yes. I'll be like you one day, man. There you go. I'll be having to wear a ball cap <laughs> to protect my head. Love it. Uh, there you go, folks. If you want to. AFA hat, you can or go go to our resource center, resources.afa.net, and order the hat. I've got the dry fit, the polyester hat, but you can uh, get a twill hat or a cotton hat as well. So a couple different options there. We've got some T-shirts available. We've got our mission statement um, T-shirt available there. We've got a, several other options there at our resource center. So just go to resources.afa. Net. Our scripture for the week is out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's out of the book of Proverbs, and that's our scripture for the week. In the second segment of the show, we'll have on Dr. Phil Klein. Dr. Klein is with uh, Liberty University as a professor. He's also the director of the Amistad Project, which is doing a lot of investigations and work on election integrity, and he was also the uh, former attorney general of the uh, state of Kansas. So we'll have Dr. Klein on here in about 10 to 15 minutes on the show. 
Until we get there, I wanted to cover a few uh, news stories, some uh, good economic news coming out on this Friday. We have the jobs report from last month, from July, and uh, America created 943,000 jobs in July. That's 943,000 jobs in July, up slightly from what was expected from the economist. So that's good. You know, we've been talking this week about people going back to work. Well, that's a good thing. People going back to work, working with their hands. God created us to work. He created us to labor. Uh, So laboring is a good thing. It shouldn't be uh, looked down upon or uh, thought of lightly. Work is a good thing. Uh, Work brings brings dignity and honor to people, and it uh, brings a lot of good benefits to people's lives. So America created 943,000 jobs in July, up slightly from what was predicted. So that's a good thing. We got to keep pounding away. Uh, People got to go back to work. No more sitting on the couch. No more playing video games when you're a grown adult. It's time to get America back to work and fill all these jobs that are open because we need we need a strong working class. America needs a strong working middle class. Uh, that's what's been the backbone of America from the very beginning is the middle class. So encouraging news out of uh, the economy. America created 943,000 jobs in July, which put the uh, unemployment rate down to about 5.5, 5.6% overall. So headed in the right direction there. If we had an administration that knew what they were doing, we'd be headed in the right direction in an expedited manner. Mm. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the American economy is doing what it can uh, with the leaders that we've been uh, dealt, we've been given. The uh, This clip I want to play, um, you know, I've talked uh, – a little bit about face mask and as it relates to the coronavirus. And there's several studies you can access out there on the efficacy of wearing a face mask when it comes to preventing or slowing the spread of an upper respiratory virus. And there's the whole side and the whole question about whether they work. And we, we talked about, uh, we played actually played the clip from a University of Minnesota professor yesterday talking about Um, how the cloth face mask, the cotton face mask, don't work. He just just bluntly said on CNN that they don't work. And then he went on to talk about the mask that he believes do work, and that is the N95 respirators. Well, that's that's one side of the discussion about, you know, whether they work, and that's, that's a discussion that should be had, should be debated, and the studies should be looked at. But this is a separate side of the conversation that really isn't getting talked about a lot, and that is what, what do masks do in the long term when it comes to your emotional and your mental health? Uh, let's listen to clip two. This is Jeffrey Anderson giving his opinion of what a mask does specifically to children and younger people. I think it's a huge price to pay, Tucker, for society as a whole. Masks are uncomfortable. They're unhygienic. They profoundly compromise human interaction, human communication, human sociability, and human understanding. There's a reason that we have not concealed the face in the West. It's because we know that each individual human being is a unique individual. And the way we can tell that is largely, the way we identify someone is largely by his or her face. A a country that forgets the importance of the face is probably also going to forget the importance of certain unalienable rights. When we walk around looking like 
faceless stormtroopers, it doesn't exactly inspire a lot of confidence that we're fit to be free, self-governing citizens in a republic. Wow. I couldn't have said it better. That's why I brought the clip in. I couldn't have said it better. Um, Bobby, this is so true. You know, when you when you have to wear the mask, especially for an extended amount of time, and you're trying to interact with people, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, it's very, very profound in terms of the perspective from his uh, his position. And I believe he's a psychologist, sociologist, and um, it, again, this this plays into the mental health aspects of of uh, things that the mask is causing. Um, People getting headaches, people uh, feeling uh, rejected, being hidden behind the mask, if you will, kind of, you know, off into a corner and, you know, afraid to interact with anybody on any level uh, for any period of time simply because they're afraid. Um, and that, that's not how we should function as a society. That's not healthy. Yeah. Certainly not healthy. You have to have interaction. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, you go out in the public and and if you have to wear these masks you know for like i said for an extended amount of time um my experience is it you you your facial expressions are out the out the door you can forget smiling at someone um you can forget actually trying to talk to people is very very difficult because we rely on watching people's mouths yeah body move. language yeah, yeah exactly. exactly facial mm-hmm. expressions when they're talking and when you just muzzle that with uh, with a face mask, it becomes very difficult, and then uh, you get into the uh, the confidence issues with children uh, going to school all day for seven to eight hours with a with a cloth over their face. You know they can't smile at their friends when they're they, it's hard to talk. It just is honestly hard to talk. Everything's muffled, and you can't hear what they're saying. Um, so that's a that's more of a psychological aspect. And view of wearing face mask. God created us. This is here's the thing, and this really this this trumps everything. This this goes over every kind of argument you can make. God created us all uniquely. God created us all in His image, unique. We all have different, um, not only just characteristic traits, but our our facial expressions, how how He designed our our bodies. Um, and our faces, and to cover that up is is just not good. It's not good for the human being, especially to have to do it often and for extended amount of times. You know, it's one thing to have to go to the doctor for an hour and, and have to wear a mask, but to wear it all day at work, all day at school, every time you go in public, it really turns us into something other than human, and that's a disappointing uh, thing. So that's just something to think about. When it comes to wearing face masks, that's one reason I joked uh, about wearing them in my house. That's one reason I'm not wearing them in my house because I want to see my wife's face in the morning. I want her to see my face. I want to smile at my kids in the morning. There's a lot of good that comes from our facial expressions. So don't forget that this is more than just about some some virus. Uh, This gets into the long-term mental and emotional effects of wearing a mask. Uh, Ron DeSantis had this press conference the other day. You know, the media, they're going after him in Florida. The media is going after Ron DeSantis. Uh, they're looking for anything and everything to criticize him about. They want to sink Ron DeSantis, just like they tried to do Trump, uh, because they don't want any viable conservative 
who has strong convictions to be anywhere popular. They want to decimate them. They want to get rid of them. There can be no conservative that ranks high in popularity amongst the general public. Well, Ron DeSantis is the guy. He's the guy. He's almost as popular as Donald Trump. Not quite, but almost. Well, they've been going after him, uh, criticizing him. The White House has been attacking him, blaming him for all the coronavirus stuff going on in Florida. And he just got fed up the other day and finally defended himself. Let's listen to Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, clip three. If you're trying to deny kids a proper in-person education, I'm going to stand in your way and I'm going to stand up for the kids in Florida. If you're trying to restrict people, impose mandates, if you're trying to ruin their jobs and their livelihoods and their small business, if you are trying to lock people down, I am standing in your way and I'm standing for the people of Florida. So why don't you do your job? Why don't you get this border secure? And until you do that, I don't want to hear a blip about COVID from you. <laughs> that was excellent. Thank you, Ron DeSantis. When I hear that kind of stuff, I just get fired up. See, because many Americans, they want a fighter. That's what, that's what propelled Donald J. Trump to the White House. It's because America wanted a fighter. America wanted a fighter. And, and one of the main reasons that I'm, I'm covering all these issues, and I'm talking about masks, I'm talking about vaccines, I'm talking about all the lockdowns, is not, I'm not going after and trying to undermine the reality that the coronavirus is a real disease and it does affect people. And many people have died because of it, because of what got out of China. Millions of people have died around the world. Families have lost loved ones. People have lost jobs. It's been horrendous. But the main driving point that I want to focus on is that, that, the, that the left, the Democrats, are trying to co-op trying to hijack what is a real problem, and that is the spread of this disease, and they're trying to use it for their wicked agenda. These people do not care about public health. They kill babies for a living. They do not care about public health. They cozy up to China, which murders Muslims and Christians. These people are disingenuous. They don't care about public health, so we need to be very leery about them using coronavirus and quote-unquote public health for the further good of mankind. We need to be very, very hesitant to fall into their traps. AFA at the core, we'll be back in a few minutes. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Nick Vujicic, an entrepreneur and evangelist born without his four limbs due to a rare genetic condition, plans to launch Pro-Life Bank, a financial institution that will serve as an alternative to mainstream commercial banks, most of which donate heavily to Planned Parenthood. Vujicic believes he's in a unique position to address issues related to abortion, adoption, and foster care. About 90% of banks give toward abortion. He says Christians must have better options for using God's money. He added 50% of pro-life banks' net profits will be given to Judeo-Christian organizations to further the kingdom of God. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Does your girl wrestle with serious feelings of distrust? She just assumes the world is out to get her, that she's being set up to fail. Does she go for the throat of anyone who crosses her whether they really meant to or not? If so, she could use a lesson on charitable assumption. Charitable assumption is the bedrock of any healthy understanding of the world around us. In other words, those who extend the benefit of the doubt rather than jumping to negative conclusions, they live happier, more graceful lives. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians instructs us, Let all that you do be done with love. That means that day-to-day interaction, all that assuming, all that communicating, verbal and otherwise, do it with love. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Today is the best day for you to begin planning for tomorrow, and the AFA Foundation can help. It's just a tiny piece of your planning for the future. We have to live our lives as if our Lord and Savior is going to return today. But we should plan our lives as if it's going to be 100 years from now. We don't know. We need to be planning. We need to be thinking. Proverbs 19 reminds us that we will be poor for lack of planning. A knowledgeable AFA Foundation representative will gladly explain the nuances of charitable gift annuities and answer your questions. Find out about charitable gift annuities when you call 800-326-4543, extension 345, 800-326-4543, extension 345, or by visiting afafoundation.net. AFA at the Core podcasts are available at afr.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core. I'm your host, Walker Wildman. You're listening to the American Family Radio Network across the country. We have uh, nearly 180 stations in over 30 states. Uh, That's our radio network. And then we are also on the Internet, which puts us everywhere across the world, uh, streaming the radio programming and streaming AFA at the Core. On the line with us, I have a special guest on the phone, Dr. Phil Klein. He's the former attorney general from Kansas, or the former attorney general of Kansas. He's a professor at Liberty University. And uh, lastly, and what we're going to talk about is his being the director of the Amistad Project. Dr. Klein, welcome to AFA at the Core. Thank you. Great to be with you. Uh, Dr. Klein, I wanted to have you on. I've talked a little bit about um, what's going, what what went on in uh, November of 2020 when it comes to the elections across the country, and all the major issues that have arisen or have been brought to light. Um, so you're heading up the Amistad Project, which is focusing in on really restoring, uh, exposing irregularities and fraud, and then helping to restore uh, a faith in our electoral system here in America. Just talk a little bit about what the Amistad Project is. Yeah, we, we engaged in an investigation to understand really what is it that undermined faith in the 2020 election. And that investigation has been engaged in multiple states. It has uh, resulted in litigation, which is still ongoing. And our belief, our strong belief, that was that this was the most lawless election in United States history. 
And what I mean by that is local officials using COVID as an excuse and funded through private dollars unilaterally decided to set aside or violate state laws protecting election integrity and to manage local election offices as partisan campaign centers to benefit one candidate. And that shouldn't be allowed, that isn't allowed, and it has to be stopped. What is, and, and you really just alluded to this, but as you as you continue to investigate and, and the work that you've already done, um, what is maybe the top one or two issues that you're coming across in all these different states? What are What's one or two issues that seems to be coming up over and over again when it comes to irregularities or fraud? Yeah, it, 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 it is the actual purchasing of local election offices and managing them to target specific voters to make it easy to vote, while often blue state officials through COVID orders made it harder for red jurisdictions to turn out the vote. So you had, through COVID emergency orders, through private funding, and unilateral local decisions, you had the same tactic that you saw at the turn of the 20th century, where the Democratic Party in the Deep South tried to suppress one type of voter, the black vote and turn out one type of voter, the white voter. But this time, you had government engaged in suppressing Republican voters and turning out Democrat voters. It's the same tactic. And and putting government resources into an effort to turn out a specific type of voter is the opposite side of the same coin as voter suppression. It's something that government shouldn't do. Government should treat every voter equally. I'll give you just one example. With the flow of Zuckerberg money alone, and there was hundreds of millions of dollars in addition to the monies, the $469 million that Zuckerberg put into these election offices. Zuckerberg money alone in Wisconsin gave Green Bay officials $47 a voter to turn out the vote, where in rural Republican areas of the state, they had $4 a voter. And not only that, these Green Bay officials actually turned over the management of the election to a private person with a private partisan organization who had the keys to the counting room. In Philadelphia, it was Mark Zuckerberg money that paid the election judges their money. It was Mark Zuckerberg, essentially, employees who boarded up the windows in Wayne County, Michigan, as they kicked Republican poll watchers out of the Consolidated Counting Center. This election, we had billionaires in the counting room, and America was kicked out. You know, Dr. Klein, the, the, there have been some states trying to respond to this, trying to correct it. But here's, here's one thing that I'm concerned about. Even as, as some red states appear to be doing things that are good, that are aimed at preventing this in the future— Here's what I'm concerned about, and I'll let you respond. I'm concerned that the time it takes the state legislatures to respond to reports and even proven fraud and illegality, the time it takes for them to investigate and respond and go through the entire judicial system, through appeals and everything, um, that, that, that the Democrats have learned here that if they just play the, the clock game, and go ahead and cheat, and then kick the can past January, that they can get away with it. So what would you say in response to that? 
Well, I think I think it's true that the judicial system is woefully inadequate in responding in real time to election irregularities. And that's why the founders placed the responsibility and authority with state legislatures, directly with state legislatures. And here's the primary reform that needs to happen that no state has adopted. What, what stunned me as I went through this and learned this and saw all the irregularities, and we tried to get state legislatures to to take a look at this, is most of them weren't even meeting. They weren't even meeting during the critical time in which they had to review the election. Moreover, the presidential electors from each state were selected in a pro forma ministerial administrative manner without any true review of election operations. So what states need to do, and they haven't done this, right now they're just putting their fingers in the dike. Nobody really wants to take responsibility for what happened, so everybody wants to point the finger at somebody else rather than lead. State legislatures need to appoint a standing special committee that meets all during the election and after the election and is mandated to issue a report. They must have compulsory process, the ability to subpoena witnesses and documents, and they must issue a report that answers these questions. Was the election lawful? Were election laws followed? What laws were not followed if laws were not followed? What was the impact, and should the election be certified? State legislators need to be on the record debating that openly before the people so that America can have transparency in the elections. The other thing we need to do, and I, I fundamentally believe this, we need to move away from the machines. Elections in America used to be transparent in that you and I could have an opinion as to whether a vote was counted accurately. Now there's only a handful of experts who can tell us whether the count was accurate, and none of them agree. Mm. That reduces transparency. It reduces accountability. And we've only done it for one reason. So the media can have these big election night broadcasts, have advertisers, and report on the election. We don't need to know within 24 hours who won the election. We need to know who legitimately won an election and that the vote was fair, and we've got to get away from these machines. They're vulnerable, and they lack transparency. Dr. Klein, the the, the uh, special committee that would be set up by a state legislature that you mentioned as a possible solution here, um, w would you say that that committee would need to report their findings like within 15 to 30 days after the election? Oh, yes, yes. We, we need to dovetail it all with federal law and with the constitutional drop date dead date of the inauguration. Yeah. And that can be done. If, if that standing committee meets all during the year and they become knowledgeable on election processes, they will be able to complete their work. Right now, there's really no review. And actually, these audits and, and the state law regarding audits are antiquated. They don't discover irregularities or fraud. They actually validate the fraud. That's why the that's why Georgia's fraud legitimate. Yeah, huh? so that's why Georgia's so-called audit was so laughable. I mean, oh well, the, it, Georgia's audit didn't address anything that related to what happened in 2020. It, yes, uh, it didn't address chain of custody. It didn't address the drop box and the failure to maintain chain of custody through the drop boxes. It didn't it, it, it look at disparate impact. And in fact, it was so shoddy 
that it came out and they said, oh, the Rothsenberger, the Secretary of State, said it was a great election. And right now, because of private investigation and pressure, he recognizes he needs to call for Fulton County to be put in receivership because they managed the election. Yeah, he's about eight months, ten months too late there. Oh, absolutely. He didn't do his job. No. He didn't do his job. Yeah, that was more of a recount than it was an audit, but they called it an audit. All right, Dr. Klein, hey, we're going to have you back on. We want want to stay up to date about the Amistad Project, and we don't want our listeners to forget about what happened in 2020. So we'll have you back. Thank you, doctor. I I will look forward to it. I would encourage everybody to visit the AmericanVotersAlliance.org. That is our sister organization that's a C4, and they have a lot of educational materials, and they can get people engaged in election integrity. AmericanVotersAlliance.org. All right. Thank you, Dr. Klein. We'll talk to you again. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there you have it. That's uh, Dr. Phil Klein from the Amistad Project. He's also a professor, professor at Liberty University. And you know, that, that's what was, was so deceiving about the Georgia situation is the Secretary of State and the governor there, both Republicans, said um, that we're going to have an audit. We're going to have an audit after President Trump's campaign was frustrated about what happened in uh, Fulton County. Well, it really wasn't an audit. That, that name, that term, uh, was really misleading. They basically just did a recount. Uh, and an actual audit would look for illegality it would look for abnormalities and it would try and it would offer a report to correct them like we saw in arizona through the forensic audit Uh, but that was more of a recount there in georgia and that's what a lot of people were frustrated about and that's why really the the result there didn't change at all hardly because uh, it was more of a recount than it was an actual audit a couple things uh, i want to mention before we go to our break here is um, the, uh, the Wisconsin story I mentioned going out of the show earlier this week about, um, Wisconsin, the state of Wisconsin scrubbing about 200,000 names of voters from the rolls, you know, that was set to be done before November, 2020, according to state law. But, um, the, uh, the election commission, uh, litigated it past 2020 election. Thus, those names were not removed. And many of these were dead people. Uh, whose names don't need to be on the voter rolls. So that's what happened there in Wisconsin. But it happened about six months too late. On the infrastructure bill, (laughs) I came across, I don't know, a couple paragraphs out of the infrastructure bill. And this is what we can expect, the, the types of things that are going to be included in this bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is an absolute disaster. In the infrastructure bill that's 2,700 pages long, which many members of Congress haven't even read yet, there is a clause within it that says this, to test the design, acceptance, implementation, and financial sustainability of a national motor vehicle per mile user fee to address the need for additional revenue for surface transportation infrastructure and a national motor vehicle per mile user free and to provide recommendations relating to the adoption and implementation of a national motor vehicle per mile user fee. This is the per mile tax, the carbon tax that the Democrats have been fantasizing about since Obama. Mm. Maybe even since Clinton. Who knows? They've been fantasizing about this 
Well, they're about to go ahead and start researching and, and prepping it so they can put it into place down the road. And this is why we don't need 17 Republicans voting to pass this bill because it's a disaster. And the carbon tax, people think, well, that's just an innocent. You know, it's just, a, it's just we're going to have better roads and bridges. We're going to have better roads and bridges. First off, that's not true. Second off, or, or secondly, that we, we can print as much money as we want to make new roads and bridges, apparently, right? Because our printing presses apparently run around the clock. Why do we need to tax Americans to make, make better roads and bridges? We already pay plenty in taxes. But what this is going towards, in my opinion is something far bigger than a gas tax, a carbon tax, a per mile tax. This is going towards a national interstate surveillance system like China has so that our federal government, our Department of Transportation that has zero accountability can track my and your move across the country anytime, any day that they need. Oh, but Walker, that's conspiratorial. Our government would never do that. Really? They would never do that? Right now, we have our FBI not even using search warrants. They don't even need to go get a subpoena anymore. The FBI colludes with these federal, these uh, private companies to get mine and your cell phone data, to get our emails, to get our phone calls, to get our text messages. They do that without a search warrant because they want to, not because there's reasonable cause or that there's some kind of law broken. No, they were pinging people's cell phones in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, and, and anyone who was in D.C. got swept up. Not people that they pinpointed that broke the law. No, they, they swept up everybody's data on January 6th without a search warrant. You want to know why? Because you're, I'm not going to mention names because I don't want to get sued. Your big tell companies, your big telephone companies, they worked voluntarily with the federal government to hand over that data, which is actually legal, perfectly legal. So if you think that your federal government won't abuse and use this carbon per mile tax system infrastructure to monitor you and me, boy, are you naive. AFA at the core, Walker Wildman. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Do you want your taxes to help fund abortions? The House of Representatives is about to start voting on appropriations bills. Congress has made sure to include pro-life amendments and appropriations bills for almost 40 years. But this year, the Smith Amendment, the Hyde Amendment, and others could be removed, opening the avenue for abortion funding. Please urge your representative to vote against any appropriations bills that don't prohibit taxpayer funding for abortions. Get more information at afa.net. Oh, Lord, please let me make it. Please, Lord. Come on, come on. American Family Association Man. or American Family Radio. I missed the show again. 
Can't find the time to catch the live shows? No worries. Wait, what? You can listen and download all your favorite shows for free. For free? That's right, for free. Just visit the podcast page on AFR.net. Lord. AFR.net. The youth of America face more and more racism, anarchy, and lawlessness. Jesus is the only hope for our youth. They need God's Word. Hello, I'm Tim Wildman, and we are so grateful to be associated with Revival Fires Ministries Truth For Youth Bible Campaign, which provides Bibles free to teenagers who don't know the Lord. The Truth For Youth Bible is the entire New Testament, along with full-color comics that present biblical truth about moral issues, and it's also available in Spanish. Revival Fires International is giving one free to every teenager who promises to give it to a friend at school. A friend at school gave me three Truth For Youth Bibles. I sat down and I read the comics in the front and I realized that I needed to recommit my life to Christ. I gave the other two Bibles to my two best friends and I'm praying and hoping that they'll recommit their lives to Christ too. Truth For Youth Bible Week starts August 9th. Find out more or get a free Truth For Youth Bible at truthforyouth.com, truthforyouth.com. When I was a paper boy, they had a contest to see who could sell the most subscriptions to the newspaper. I won and I won a trip to the ocean. It was a fun trip and the first time I'd ever seen anything where there was enough. Anyway, on that trip, there was another boy and I asked him how many subscriptions he had sold. He said, none. My father is the circulation manager for the paper. They're gonna ask me how I got to heaven. I'm not gonna list the few good things I did. I'm just gonna say, my father manages this place. He'll be your father too. Talk to Jesus and he'll he'll work out an adoption. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at afr.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the last segment of AFA at the Core here on American Family Radio Network. When you go to our website, AFR.net, right there at the top of the page, you can click on the podcast button. And when you go to the podcast page, you know, I'm a little biased here, so I don't just want you to go to the podcast page. I really want you to go to the AFA at the Core podcast page. That's where it's at. That's where it's happening. So when you go to AFR.net, click on the podcast tab and click on the AFA at the Core podcast and you can get today's show, get past shows, listen at your convenience. A lot going on there on the podcast page at AFR.net. And the same type setup is on the app. Just click on podcast and you can find the AFA at the Core podcast there on your app. Uh, multiple ways for you to keep up with the show to listen to uh, American Family Radio. You know, uh, Bobby and Marty and I were having some good conversation during the break about, you know, the real-life implications of transitioning, of moving to this um, this electric vehicle, this new fad, our fab of, um, of electric vehicles, and really what it could look like, what it could look like, because... Um, we've already have in certain states. You already have an electric grid that is struggling in certain times of the year. I mean, Texas this past winter um, 
they had blackouts for several days there in Texas during that freeze, that hard freeze, which is a capacity thing and it's a generation thing, meaning uh, the, the generation facilities weren't able to keep up that we're making this power. Well, you start adding, you know, tens of thousands of Teslas to the grid, um, you're going to create even more problems if the grid doesn't have the capacity. So there's a whole lot going on there when it comes to electric vehicles that really haven't been properly planned for and our and our, our, our country, our infrastructure is just not ready for that. It just can't handle that at this point. It may can in the future, but it can't right now. And you wanna you wanna turn us into Venezuela with rolling blackouts and brownouts, you know, once a week. Uh, you start uh, plugging up a bunch of Teslas to it without properly planning, um, and things are gonna turn turn out not how we uh, how we planned, how we predicted. The White House, you know, I didn't even bring this clip in because I didn't even know it existed. But now that I do, I have my eyes have been opened to the White House. They actually said on Monday, <laughs> they said uh, just about a week or two ago that the White House and all of their agencies, with all the power that they have, the White House said that they cannot legally extend the eviction moratorium. Well, what happened? They did just what they said they couldn't do. They extended the eviction moratorium explicitly against the Supreme Court ruling, the Supreme Court opinion there, the 5-4 decision. This is a clip for, let's listen to the White House saying that it cannot extend the eviction moratorium. Unfortunately, uh, Supreme Court declared on June 29th that the CDC could not grant such an extension without clear and specific congressional authorization. But given the rising urgency of the spread of the Delta variant, the president has asked all of us, including the CDC, to do everything in our power to look for every potential legal authority we can have to prevent uh, evictions. Uh, to date, uh, uh, the CDC director and her team have been unable to find legal authority even for a more targeted eviction moratorium that would focus just on counties with higher rates of, of, of COVID spread. Well, what he just described there, even he admitted that that wasn't possible. That was illegal. That was unconstitutional. Well, the pressure came from the from the socialist, and the CDC gave in, and they renewed they uh, renewed the eviction moratorium despite explicit disapproval from the Supreme Court. So that's the White House even admitting that it can't extend the eviction moratorium, and it did anyway. This reminds me of Barack Obama, President Obama, talking about, um, I think he was talking about DACA. I think he was a talk, talking about deferred action on childhood arrivals, amnesty-type actions, and it, it was either that or Obamacare, one of the two, but basically he said, you know, I don't think we can do this. I don't think this is legal. And then he later went on to do it. Um, same thing going on with the Biden administration. They've admitted that they don't have the legal authority to extend the eviction moratorium, but they're doing it anyways. 
just to test the Supreme Court. I sure hope that the Supreme Court comes out Monday and just slaps them on the hand and tells them, you can't do that. And uh, that would be just just glorious. But there you go. You know, they thought the Trump administration was lawless. Well, uh, look at the Biden administration explicitly ignoring the U.S. Supreme Court. Jeb Bush put out a tweet, and it actually doesn't make sense. It kind of makes sense, but the way he worded it is a little bit confusing. And But I, there's enough here uh, to talk about it, to talk about this tweet from the great Jeb Bush, former governor of Florida. He put out a tweet two days ago about the Olympics, and here's what he is saying about the Olympics. This is out of pjmedia.com. I wonder how our medal totals would be if we had an exclusionary immigration system, which we had for a few, for the for the last few years. My heart swells for all of our medalists, including those whose families have come from far off lands to our country. Well, here's the PJ Media. This uh, the writer, Matt Mergelis. He's com- commenting, providing commentary on the Jeb Bush tweet about. You know, if we just had a better immigration system, a more inclusive immigration system the last few years. Uh, This writer goes on to say that this poorly worded tweet seems to be suggesting that Jeb is disappointed in Team USA's medal count and believes it would be better if immigration had been less, quote, exclusionary during the Trump years. Well, there are a few problems with this tweet, this writer goes on to say. For starters, while some teams haven't performed as expected, Team USA's medal count is hardly disappointing. According to the official Olympics website, as of this writing, the USA ranks second in the number of gold medals and first in total medals. Good for the USA. The writer goes on to say that, but the most disturbing thing about the tweet is that he seems to be implying that because of the Trump years, America didn't get a good, didn't get enough foreign-born talent to do better in the Olympics. So the writer ends with this question. So are foreign-born Americans better athletes than American-born Americans? Are American-born athletes, Jeb? (laughs) Uh, So we'll see if Jeb Bush clarifies his tweet there or responds to it. But, you know, uh, many of uh, some Republicans, especially the establishment, uh, they are just as open borders. They are just as far illegal immigration um, as some others, uh, even the Democrats, are. Why? Because of the big corporate interest. That's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. I mean, you got the people who just want to destroy our country, which makes up probably at least half or more of the Democrat Party. Uh, but you have many uh, leaders that have vested financial interest with these corporations, which hire the illegal immigrants. You know, they're not supposed to. If we were enforcing federal law across the board, we wouldn't even be able to hire illegal immigrants across the country. But there are, there are companies, many of them, that just flat out ignore federal law and they hire cheap labor, they hire the illegal immigrants to work various jobs. And uh, we actually covered uh, where there's the the U visa program, which allows illegal immigrants to apply for work visas. Yes, illegal immigrants can apply for work visas here in the U.S. through the U visa program. Uh, We covered that on the show before. Moving on, there's a clip I want to make sure we get to here. This is clip five. This is uh, Dr. Byron Brittle. He is a immunologist and a viral immunologist, and he's been studying this COVID vaccine from day one 
and he's given us a little a little alternative opinion than what you're hearing in the mainstream and he's talking about here in this clip about the vaccine about the shot and about how it could even be hampering our ability to reach herd immunity clip five let's listen absolutely it's untrue to be calling this a pandemic of the unvaccinated in fact i would argue that and it's certainly untrue that this flipping of the messaging to scare people into thinking that the unvaccinated are somehow driving the emergence of novel variants. This goes against every scientific principle that we understand. The reality is the nature of the vaccines that we are using right now and the way we are rolling them out are going to be applying the selective pressure to this virus to promote the emergence of new variants. Again, this is based on sound principles. We have to look no further than chemotherapy for cancers and the emergence of antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria. The principles are this. If you have a biological entity that's prone to mutation, and the SARS coronavirus too, like all coronaviruses, is prone to mutation. So if you have a biological entity like that, and you apply a narrowly focused selective pressure that is non-lethal, and you do this over a long period of time, this is the recipe for driving the emergence of novel variants. That's interesting. Very, very interesting. That's Dr. Byron Brittle, but he's saying there that these uh, these shots, I don't really think we can uh, medically and scientifically call them a vaccine anymore because by definition, they're not performing that way, at least in, in certain instances. But these shots... These COVID shots, um, Dr. Byron Brittle there is talking about how how these shots could actually be making things worse uh, because they're 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 causing herd immunity, natural immunity, to not be met, and it's really causing more variants to to come off and keep reproducing and coming out um, of what's going on. So that's Dr. Byron Brittle, and that's interesting. We'll we'll keep an eye on that and and see if. If, if more information becomes available. Um, but we are seeing where um, people who are who have the shot are getting the virus. I mean, we're seeing that all across the country, all across the world, uh, where people who have the shot who are supposed to be immune from coronavirus are getting the virus. And, and the CDC even admitted that they can not only get the virus, people who have the shot, but they can also spread the virus uh, to anyone. So that's pretty interesting there. That's not typically how uh, the traditional vaccines are supposed to work. They're supposed to provide full immunity, according to the to the FDA and the CDC uh, website. There's a clip I want to get to. This is next week. We're going to have our Truth for Youth Bible campaign here on American Family Radio all next week where we're uh, uh, making Partnering with Tim Todd and Revival Fires Ministry, we're making Bibles available across the country to teenagers, to students, so they can get a Bible and take it with them to school. Let's listen to a clip here from Tim Todd talking about the Truth for Youth Bible campaign. The Truth for Youth Bible consists of the entire New Testament in the God's Word translation, along with a hundred pages of powerful full-color comic stories, graphic novels that deal with the truth about things that young people are confronted with every day. We deal with the truth about hard-hitting issues such as drugs, drunkenness, peer pressure. We deal with the truth about sexual purity, pornography, homosexual perversion, abortion, evolution, secular rock music, sorcery, witchcraft, school violence. The Bible says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Each of the comic stories contains the plan of salvation. So not only do these young people find out the truth, but they also find out how to give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, get off of the road to hell and on the road to heaven. On the back cover of the new Truth For Youth Bible is students' legal rights on public school campuses. We put number four in bold because it tells our young people that they do have the right to give Bibles away on campus during non-instructional time. That means that it is legal for our young people to give Bibles away. Mm-hmm. The whole New Testament, these powerful comic stories, a decision coupon that they can fill out when they give their heart to the Lord send it to our ministry, and then we get them plugged into a local church wherever they live across America. God is doing a mighty work through the distribution of the Truth for Youth Bible. There Amen. you have it. That's uh, that's awesome, Amen. Bobby. Appreciate you bringing that clip in. That's, yes, Dr. T- that's Mr. Tim Todd, Pastor Tim Todd from Louisiana, uh, president, founder of Revival Fires Ministry. Um, actually, his father founded uh, the ministry there. Father was a um, Pastor and uh, Tim Todd is following in his father's footsteps. Uh, Truth for Youth Bible Campaign will be next week here on American Family Radio, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, The last story I want to get to before we wrap up the show is one that you would think would be out of a satirical website, but it's not. This is an actual news story. Here's the headline. China plans to dump 2 billion doses of its low-quality coronavirus vaccines on the world. (laughs) Well, all I've got to say on this, I could say much more, but we have the country (laughs) that produced this manufactured lab-produced virus out of Wuhan, China, that is now wreaking havoc on the world. They are now trying to heal this, trying to make this right by sending these ineffective vaccines all over the world. I mean, this is unbelievable, and countries are actually taking this. (laughs) Whatever country has taken this, I do not feel sorry for them. Absolutely laughable. I do not feel sorry for them for taking this Chinese vaccine that probably doesn't even work. AFA at the core. We'll be back next week with more on American Family Radio. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.